really Resurrection Sunday in the life of Freshwater, the life of Cairns today. Um, welcome to Easter 2019. What a great time. And today we're going to, uh, in the sign of uh, new birth that uh, Jesus brought, but also we want to rebirth and revision our church as well. We felt it was just an opportune time to do that this Easter. So welcome today to being part of that uh, in such a special, special way. Many years ago, this is not the oldest one. I've got some really old ones up there, but this is the one that's most intact. Probably the only one in existence in the world, but this is the vision booklet from our church back in uh, the 1900s. <laughs> uh, and that was uh, towards the 21st century sort of vision. Pastor Norm, you know, penciled out here on the back. You can't see it. I can hardly see it there. What it would look like what you're sitting in today. And so very, very exciting. We put that down uh, in our history booklet. You can get one of those in the foyer. That's been out now for a couple of months, hasn't it? It talks about roughly 90 years of history in the life of our church, which is a long history, isn't it, to be able to be part of. And uh, we've got another one here that uh, I know uh, Max and Danilla have been part of, and many of you have been part of if you're part of the college or really as just as a ministry of the church. And that's our yearbook for our college, which has only come out recently, hasn't it? Yeah, last month. And so that's our yearbook there. It's quite thick and juicy. I think there's some in the foyer if you'd like to grab one. We've now within the top 18% of schools in Australia. Uh, sorry, in Queensland. And so that's pretty exciting when you think about that. That's state schools, Christian schools, non-Christian schools, uh, private schools. All of those schools, we're top 18%. So that's exciting to appreciate that reality sneaking around behind me. What's going on there? Sanand is going to sing. I didn't know Julie was singing today. You could hardly see her in the camouflage there, did you? You uh, could hardly see her. Are you singing today, Julie? <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about the aspect of new life and revisioning. And uh, this is a booklet you, you can have the opportunity grabbing in the foyer on the way out. And it's all about what I'm going to preach about today in the aspect of rebirthing and revisioning uh, what we do. There's probably uh, uh, enough work in here, enough on-ramps in here for everyone in, in Cairns and beyond to be part of. Uh, so this is uh, hopefully something we revision and rebirth in that way uh, right up to the return of Jesus. And uh, there's enough opportunity in here to outwork that. There's about $50 million worth of vision inside of this to be able to see God do great things in Cairns and beyond. So I trust you grab one of those and do that. The Bible says write the vision down, make it plain, so those who read it can run with it, and some people run away from it. That's uh, the, often the reality with vision. And today we want to talk a little bit about, and I put an aspect here, when the night is dark enough, the one with the torch is valued. Unlocking freedom, I want to talk about new birth and rebirth of our vision and sense. We don't tend to change vision in our church, we tend to add to vision. So the vision is usually set and we just add to it and qualify it as we journey through. And that's what we're doing today to unpack much of what we're talking about and going to talk about. In Luke 24, it tells us a little bit about today though. And that's very, very important to include the reality of that. As Resurrection Sunday and Jesus rose from the dead. I love, uh, we're talking about on Good Friday, Luke 24 is where we're going, verse 46, I think. Uh, it tells us, you know, in, 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 I was just looking up Good Friday actually means it's a slang translation from Holy Friday. 
that's what it's originally called, but people didn't feel comfortable calling it Holy Friday, so they changed it to Good Friday. And then I was reading about rabbits, where rabbits come. You ever read where rabbits come into Easter and eggs? There's the hollow egg and the full egg and what they actually mean. And one, the hollow egg represents the empty tomb and the full egg represents the stone. So, you, you know, like, it, you sort of, and then the chocolate, where did chocolate come in? It's interesting because chocolate was more like a comfort drink and they thought that God coming was very comfortable. And, and so they made it, you think, such fragile thoughts, aren't they? When you compare it to the reality of the spiritual depth of Jesus dying to, to see the sins of the world forgiven and, and the life of what he brought through his new covenant, isn't it? it it's like, you, if you compare the two, uh, I think it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to appreciate the depth of what we've got. That's why I think the Bible essentially calls us hope carriers. We're carriers of hope. People that carry hope into a dying world, a hurting world, we're able to, to be that. And I trust today you're able to grab hold of a little bit of vision. 24, 46, it says to them, and Jesus said to them, thus it is written, and it is necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that the resurrection and the mission of, uh, remission sorry, of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Isn't that wonderful? God is including all nations. For God so loved the world. You probably noticed that when you came in, that the many nations sort of aspect. I want to unpack that in a moment in, in our vision aspect. And I believe that's very, very powerful when you when we consider what God is actually saying there. If you turn over into Matthew 4, 17, it talks about something that I believe is a slight shift, maybe just a returning to, I'm not sure, in what God is calling our nation and the nations of the world to do. It says here in verse 17 of chapter 4, And for that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or had is drawn near to you. And it's a great thought that Jesus' preaching prefix was prefixed by this statement, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I think to some degree we have done a bit of a disservice to that scripture over time because our emphasis has been too much on repent and not enough on the kingdom is at hand. <laughs> uh, and so therefore we've caused people to stop doing things but not start doing anything. Repent. Repent, you need to repent, you sinner. <laughs> and people go, oh, I am, and they run a mile. And therefore, the church becomes more known for what it's against rather than what it's for. And I believe the aspect of repentance just means turn away, solemnly, genuinely say sorry, and turn around and follow something that is so much bigger and so much better that you've never even thought of, experienced before. And I know for me, uh, just the little aspect of finding church, I was looking for something like this, but I traveled the world to find something that was just around the corner from me. But no one talked to me about it. No one told me anything about it. No one invited me to church until one day someone told me about Jesus and then invited me to church. And I'm so glad, aren't you? Six. But that, I'm so glad that, that somebody talked to me about Jesus. And I'm so glad that they brought me to church and took me to church. And I saw these people singing and so happy. I'm looking under the seats. I thought they must be all on drugs or something. I've never seen people this happy before. I never see. I thought they were just putting it on. And, and I thought they must be here all week. And then I realized some of them were doctors and nurses and mechanics and engineers and, and, and accountants and stuff like that. I realized they actually had jobs. They weren't here all week. 
They weren't actors that just turned up on Sunday. They were real people who, who were peppered through the fabric of society, influencing the world for good and for God. And, and so it is that this message, uh, repent, means express sincere regret, remorse about one's wrongdoing. And I believe, uh, you know, it's not a repentance from, but it's a repentance to, to what God is calling us to do. Because what you're putting down is so small compared to what you're taking on. And part of that today is not just talking about vision, but talking about the character of our vision. The character of our vision is, needs to be very, very clear and very, very qualified, I believe, in lots of ways. Um, if you look at the gospel message today, we've got to be ask ourselves, I suppose, what is, what is the, uh, the message that is of the gospel? So we look at mission today. We look at... Um, motivation today and we look at the message today is that right in those three aspects so what do you think is is sorry uh the message what do you think is the mission today what was jesus mission resurrection sunday we should be loud what do you think jesus mission was Seek and save the lost, to seek and save the lost. What a powerful thing. The crazy thing, I didn't know I was lost. I don't know if you did. I didn't know I was lost, but once I was found, I did. (laughs) I figured I was really lost. (laughs) What was his motivation? What was Jesus' motivation? For who? The love for his father. Love for his dad. He said, I don't do anything unless I see my dad doing it. Motivation, Jesus' motivation. He followed in, I suppose the parallel I look at is in 1 John 4. And it says it's the aspect of God's love is not how much, uh, you know, you love God, but how much you realize God loves you. And that's, that's everlasting. Our love is very conditional. His love is not. And, and so the message that Jesus actually had is what? Repent for the kingdom of what? We just talked about it. We need to be able to repent. So his mission is to seek and save the lost. His motivation is love for the Father. And his message was to repent. And then his ministry is another conversation in itself. And so we start to look at that in what God has called us to do. And so that's where we start to look at we the church. We the church, the, the body of Christ on planet earth at this time, we just happen to be lined up to be believers of that. I say sometimes, people ask me, are you a Christian? And sometimes I say, well, no, I'll let you call me a Christian if you want to, but I'm a believer. I'm a believer in the reality of what happened uh, through the death and life of Jesus Christ and what is on offer from God. And so my mission is to seek and save the lost in everything that I do. My motivation is love for my heavenly Father, that He loves me and that I can love Him. And so love is, is definitely the motivation. It's very hard sometimes to love the unlovely, but you realize that God always loves you. It's easy to love out of that love. Uh-huh. And so the message is to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But again, can I go over it again? Is the message is not just about repent. It's like it's not a repentance from, it's a repentance to. Uh-huh. And so it's a bit like the Israelites uh, when they came out of Egypt. It wasn't a matter that they came out. It was a matter that they went in. But they had to come out to go in. And so that, that's where the, the thought actually comes from. So if we're going to be people 
like in Matthew, it says the aspect of that is that the Lord's prayer or the disciples' prayer was, let my kingdom come and my will be done. Uh-huh. And he- in heaven, or on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's an aspect of the kingdom of God wanting to come to earth in such a powerful way. Is that right? And, and so we've got to be able to be people who, I suppose, are conjured or have the ability to be able to let the kingdom of God flow through us to earth so the kingdom of God can be established on earth. Is that right? And so we're going to, as we look through this vision brochure, and there's a lot of colored pictures in it and and stuff like that, but just looking at it generally, I want us to be able to take a look at page three, and it'll come up on the screen. You'll be able to see it, page three. It talks about how we're actually going to do this, how we're going to achieve these things. Because it says first in Jerusalem. And first, I believe, you know, the church needs to be, and the church being the ecclesia, the called out ones, needs to be the ones who, who rally together, who stand strong. And we need to be able to be that here. Uh-huh. But we don't live here. Some people say to me, you know, Pastor Stuart, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going out today and this is great information, but I'm going out into the real world. Friend, that is not the real world. This is the real world. A world of disappointment and anger and frustration and confusion. That is not the real world. This is the real world where we can talk about truth and peace and joy and kindness and the manifestation of the power of God. This is the real world. This is the kingdom coming and His will being done. just so happens that God wants that over the whole nation, over the whole city. And so we look at how we're going to do it through the four M's that we're going to do it. We're going to appreciate as a church, there's a shift here of appreciating many nations. Uh huh. What we're saying often is many cultures, but only one culture, the kingdom culture. So many nations is representing and appreciating there's many cultures, but there's only one culture, the super culture, and that's the culture of Jesus. Uh huh. And, and so that's a part of his kingdom coming and his will being done. I often share it, don't I? And I talk about the aspect where uh, marriage is a good example, where two people are trying to walk together, but they're from different cultures, different backgrounds. And some can be from different countries uh, and so on. And they're trying to have a marriage or a strong, uh, intimate relationship together when they're actually from different cultures. And then they say, well, the children should be brought up like this and you should do this and you should do that and you should serve me and you should do that. And it's like, whoa, and this confusion. There's arguments and stuff. And I have to say to many couples who come and say, you're from different backgrounds, you're from different experiences, you're from different families, and respectfully, you do things differently. But it's not going to work. Less two can walk together, agreed, how can they walk together? And so, you know, a house divided cannot stand. And so what I say to them is you have to let go of your culture and grab hold of the kingdom culture and have one culture flowing through your marriage. And people say, well, what's the kingdom culture? And I go, great question. That's, you're asking the right questions. Let's talk about what a kingdom culture actually looks like so you can have one culture in your marriage you can be agreed about. And that becomes very, very powerful for people when they appreciate there's some homework to be done, there's good things to be done. It's not about taking sides. It's about getting on God's side. And so the, the simple picture could be a bit like this is the foundation of your marriage or your relationship or your life, I just draw it like this, like foundations, could be the kingdom of God. Uh Uh-huh. 
And your culture, whatever that might be, it might be Chinese culture or Aussie culture or, you know, Japanese culture or whatever it may be, can sit above that. But the foundation of our faith is a kingdom culture. And I'm aiming at building the foundations of my life on a kingdom culture, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven sort of culture. And so that's, that's very exciting when you start to think about that. And as we start to build this many nations sort of concept, we, we did it the other night, didn't we? Where we pulled out on the whiteboard and we put all the, do you remember that? And everyone sort of put their hand up and said, I'm from, I was born in Switzerland, I was born in China. And I, we put all the different cultures in our church. It filled the whole whiteboard on a Sunday night, it, just in our church. It was fantastic. There's so many different people represented. And we want to be able to celebrate all of those cultures all at once, all the time. Uh-huh. So this is not, can I say, can I say, I'm not going to culturally offend people all the way through this and out the other side, all right? So just get used to that. Forgive me now. I forgive him. Say, I forgive him. Uh-huh. But so this is not a white man's church. This is not a black man's church. This is God's church. Uh-huh. We're, we're his Lord and his Lord of all. And, and so that's, that's. You know, that's my heart, and I just said, I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to tread on people, and people say, you're racist, and you're this. Because the first thing we're going to have to deal with in our hearts is racism. Uh-huh. It's the first thing we're all going to have to deal with, and God leading us through and taking us through. And there'll be levels of that in our heart where we find different people have offended us. And I, it doesn't, you know, we won't go into today, but I don't think it matters what color your skin is. There can be some really nut people that are nuts. Don't they? It doesn't matter what color your skin is. There's some stupid people, some really crazy people, some people that do really crazy things. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, pink, red, green, or whatever. But uh, this is where I believe as a church, it should be a safe place where all cultures could be highlighted and represented. So, example, soon we're going to do an international night, and the Korean folk, there's a whole bunch of people flying in from Korea, but we're going to do it an international. It's not a Korean night. It's an international night. We will have a focus on Korea. Do it. We're going to have some international dinners. We're going to have some Aussie nights. We're going to have all different types of things to represent and celebrate each other's cultures and get to know each other with a goal in mind to be one culture, and that's the kingdom of God culture, not pulling towards a monoculture. Monoculture means this, is when people want to then pull towards their culture and have a, a separate service or have a separate thing for them and out the side. And uh, it can be a struggle. I know sometimes uh, different uh, uh, people come to a Cairns to learn English. And what they sometimes do is all congregate together. I know Japanese folk do it, Korean folk do it. Do, do, is, that, is that right, uh, Edward? They, you know, they're meant to come over here to learn English and they hang out together speaking Korean or Japanese and don't learn any English. And then they go back. You know? It's great to be able to mix together. So we can all learn from each other. Not learn English. We might be able to learn, I might learn Korean. I could be a Korean interpreter. How's that? Me and Stephen O'Brien. So many nations is where we want to actually go as a church to respect and appreciate that. Second thing is miracles. We want to be a church that is focused on miracles. I said it like this the other day. Someone went to a church and they, they came to me and said, Pastor Stuart, I went to this church last week, but when I walked in here, there's an expectation. I can feel there's an expectation. There's a life in this church. And I said, that's because we have an expectation that God's amongst us and he might do something. 
and he wants to do something and he will and he can do something if we let him. So our passion is to be a church that really looks forward to seeing miracles in people's lives. The greatest miracle is salvation and so on and so forth. Mission, we want to be on mission. We've got two aspects of mission. One is our missions department where we give faithfully with Taylor every month. And then we have our uh, Freshwater Care, which is our charity, which we give out and we do things. We're just about to go on the road to do uh, uh, Mother's Day. Mother, These are some of the Mother's Day packs we're putting together to be able to take out to farmers' wives uh, for Mother's Day. And uh, that's really exciting when we start to see as a church we're influencing that world in a very positive way. But we want to be on mission. We want to be able to go and send missionaries and see missionaries come in and look after them well. Number four is ministry equipping. That's pretty uh, self-explanatory. To be able to encourage people to grow and to learn how to grow in ministry and how to grow in their personal lives so they can minister to other people. So that's sort of our passion uh, in those four M's. Everyone say four M's. Four M's. How are you going to do it? Through the four M's. And in this booklet, it goes through each one of them. And it talks about how leadership is a multiplication aspect. It talks about how leadership is being able to make disciples, and making disciples means making a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ in this hour. The next one we're going to do, because that can be very one-dimensional about just an event happening on Sunday and just an experience, but what we want to do is be able to look at how do we then influence our world with this concept, because I believe God's brought us in to be influencers. And here we look at the nine mountains of influence. What it means is this. If you have any society community that you want to start in the middle of Australia or wanted to start somewhere, eventually people would get into these groups with an expectation and an understanding we need these groups to survive or to cultivate a community, okay? Uh, we'll need to get together a little church or something like that, and there might be other faiths and other religions that want to get. Then there's the media. We want to report some stuff and let everyone know what's going on. There might be family. We need to do things as family and respect that family is important. Government, we'll need to set up some sort of governance program over our little community. And the list goes on. We'll need a healthcare system because we've got uh, waste we need to get rid of. Where are we going to get rid of that? How are we going to keep people healthy? And, and we need doctors and we need nurses and we need surgeons because that'll be our new little community. We'll need people who can have business because we'll need to sell things and buy things and so on. The list goes on. And so what we're looking at is these nine mountains of influence to be able to help people grow in a certain area and realize where their influence actually can be. Uh-huh. So for Max and Danilla there, their influence is, is education, the second last mountain. And so my passion for people like Max and today if you're teaching in a state school system, whatever it is, that you could rise to the top of your mountain. So you could be influential in your mountain, in your world. So there's a level of respect there because, hey, this guy is really got a voice because of his experience, because of his passion. Then people say to you, well, how, how come you're, you know, you're so good at what you do, but I noticed you really love your wife. How, you know, yeah, yeah, I really, how do you love your wife and how do you hold your hand and how do you come your finances are so good and everything like that? I'm glad you asked. I'm a believer. Well, what's that mean? Oh, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I go to church every Sunday. My church, I love hearing the messages. Pastor Stewart's got the best dad jokes in the world. And I get, but, um, and I love it, and I love being fueled by the Word of God, and Jesus loves me, and I pray often and stuff like that. People go, you're incredible, and you're a surgeon as well, and you're this as well. How do you, and that's how we can, because you know what's happened in the past? In the past, what's happened is this. 
people have tried to climb the religious mountain and they've got to wherever they think they're up to on the religious mountain. Then they've commanded the other mountains to shut up and listen to them. We're going, hey, you guys need to wake up to yourself. Your government need to do this and do that. You cannot expect the world to act Christianly. And by climbing our religious mountain and standing on the top of it, telling everyone else what to do, is not the way that we do it. (laughs) The way that God mobilizes people is with their gifts, talents, and abilities, and with their callings, and calls them into a certain area, where they can then uh, be moved or motivated or encouraged or set goals to rise to the top of that mountain and be a great influencer in their world or their sphere of influence. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand for a good idea. So even if you follow through on Titus, the last line of that statement says, not just about one generation, but all generations working together. And so cheering each other on. I was only talking to someone, I got some professional advice there, Max, not to supersede your uh, opinion advice at all. But on what age do you think that young people need to be encouraged into a mountain area? They said from grade five. In grade five, they need to start to be educated. Hormones haven't kicked in quite, and they're still looking for orientation to be able to get direction in their life. And you might say, look, there's three mountains, Johnny, that you could choose from. Which one do you think, you know, I think three, you're really, you know, you've got nine, but we've zoomed into three. Let's look at three, you know, you could actually work on of a career path that you could actually look forward to. Because we have so many young people today who leave school and don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going to go. Then they have a gap year where they get lost. We want to shoot young people out of the end like a cannon (laughs) into their career path because they're so convinced and convicted that for years they've been training and desiring to be this because they believe God's put it on their hearts. And so we're in a perfect position as an educational institution in the top 18%, because we want to climb to the top of our mountain. That's been my passion for the last 13 years that I've been with you, to climb to the top of mountain. And we're 18%, we're just near the top of the education mountain. You know what? People are listening to us now. We're not the little pipsqueak schools back here and back into Cairns. Who are you guys anyway? Bunch of hobos. You're on the top eight. We're listening. <laughs> How do you do this? What do you do? How do you get those results? Because it's not about the intelligence of the teachers. It's what the teachers impart into the students and the students are capable of doing. You know? And so we're in a prime position as a church to be able to set this in place. And also for you as a mom and dad to to sit down with your children and say to them over time, you know, in this mountain process, kids, where do you think you want to be? What do you want to do with your life? And we've got enough cheerleaders and fan club people. Uh, You've got... Dr. Oddwell here, he could explain to you all the different details, couldn't you? Huh? Of, of how to look, how to, how to go to some of those mountains. You've got Esther there, she'll prophesy over and pray for you at the same time and, and encourage you at the same time to give you direction and purpose. And so there's enough people around us as a church, as a community, to be able to see young people and all people find their place in the house of God, in the kingdom of God, if we become kingdom-minded in our approach. Let's give the Lord a hand for it. He's a good guy. So that's how I believe God so loved the world by turning up and saying, I want to use you and I want to use you and I want to use you. We're called the ecclesia, the called out ones. That God has called out or is calling out again and again to say, will you come and look at what I'm interested in? 
Will you drop what you're interested in and let me show you what I'm interested in? This day and hour, friend, is pressing in on us. And the only burden we should carry, really, is the burden of the Lord. We all should be involved with the eternal business of God that's light and that's easy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We all should be involved with only eternal things because that's the life of God. If we carry the burden of God in this hour, we'll do very, very well. And God, what's on God's heart needs to be on our heart. You know what's on God's heart right now? You know what's on God's heart? People. 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 There's so many people oh, in these spheres of influence that we have not infiltrated yet because we haven't, we thought that the answer's in the church. We thought if I stand behind that pulpit, I'll be able to tell everyone how, what to think and what to do. And God's encouraging you today, go and get your own pulpit. Go and get your own pulpit and stand at the foot of your mountain and proclaim and decree, God, could you use me? He's going to use somebody. He will use somebody. It's just whether it's going to be you. It's just whether you want it to be you. It's not a matter of being easy or hard. It's, that's not the issue. That's not the conversation. It's about whether you want God's will to be done in your will. And we look at the world today and we think one of the greatest movements of church on the world today is Hillsong. We start to see Hillsong being a great move, a great teaching, training, equipping of people and so on and so forth. It is a breathing revival on the planet. But one day there'll be a greater church than Hillsong. There'll be another leader raised up who'll create a bigger movement than Hillsong. Hillsong will still grow, but there'll be someone else that'll raise it. Then there'll be someone else that'll raise something up bigger than that. They could be in this room. They could be here now. You don't know. But if you set a pace and set a goal and set a possibility, because we have so many young people today who, who, who haven't got a clue. There's so many options out there of career paths. They haven't got a clue. And yet many of you are already on a mountain process. And whether you're in the health area, and I say this respectfully, whether you're just a cleaner there, climb to the top of your mountain. Climb to the top. Be the best cleaner that God would have you be. Be the supervisor of cleaners. <laughs> Study, learn, do what you can to be that. If you're a pastor, be a good pastor. If you're desiring to be a teacher, don't be a teacher. Be a good teacher. Be the best teacher you can be. Study and learn and grow. Then be a supervisor of teachers. Then be like Max, a head of primary. Or rise up and be a principal or whatever it is. And then rise up and be a principal of principals. You know? And influence the world of principals and say that Christian education is going to hit the mark. But we do this because God so loved the world. Every nation, every tribe, and every tongue would come to know Him. And I believe this unlocks, opens up a pathway. And I pray, my greatest prayer in this hour is that your eyes will be, understanding will be open, because that's what Jesus said. He said He prayed that their eyes would be open to the reality and the truth of the Scripture. So when they go into the world, when you go into a supermarket tomorrow, when you, if it's open, it, 
when you go down the street, what I'm about to say is going to mess with your life. And when you walk down the street and you walk into any situation, any circumstance, any place, your workplace or anywhere, you're not going to meet a person that God doesn't love. You're not going to meet him. For God so loved the world.